with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have friends or family that can't watch the show live, they can go to www.bornagainmormon.com, watch its streaming video. You can also go and watch past shows, archives, right there uh, live, uh, right there recorded on the site. In the house tonight, we have Mary Ellen. We have David, we have Glenn and Glenn, Donna and Dave, Jed, Dave, Nancy, and Major Darren. We welcome them all, welcome them all. Glad that you're here. Some shout outs quickly. Mary H. in Bingham Canyon, Teresa C. Zan, thank you for sharing your heartfelt poetry. Patricia T. for your fine writing skills. Stephen and Natalie. Kathy, the former non-Christian known as Maggie, who has now turned her life over to the Lord. We praise God for that. And uh, to Mark you, who I met today, uh, great to see you. Listen, I was a born-again Mormon. It's available at Christian Gift and Bible here in uh, Salt Lake City Valley. Um, Utah Lighthouse Ministry. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Christ Evangelical in Orem, Gift of Grace in Springville, Sam Weller's Downtown, Oasis Books in Logan. Uh, just a sad note, we lost Benchmark Books as a carrier of uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, which is sad to me because uh, I love the people who run and own uh, Benchmark Books. They're very nice and uh, enjoy them, but uh, I guess they, uh, cannot no they can carry the book no longer. Also available at Amazon.com, and you can also go to our website, www.bornagainmormon.com, and order it from us uh, if you have special financial needs and can't uh, afford it or don't want to buy it strictly on principle but are curious, email us and we'll send you a copy free. Traveling pastor uh, in the pub January. It's going to be in Salt Lake City when? Monday night, January 7th from 6 to 8 p.m., it's going to be at the Denny's on 5th South. For those of you unable to come to Pastor in the Pub on Tuesday nights or anybody else, we welcome you to come on this monthly past traveling Pastor in the Pub that we have. Afterward, we're going to retire to a local place where there's water deep enough to baptize somebody. And if you want to come and be baptized and publicly express your commitment to a life of following Jesus Christ, please come and join us. We would love to see you there. Last Wednesday evening, I attended a private screening of an up-and-coming documentary titled A Mormon President. There is so much that could be said regarding this uh, documentary film that is supposed to hit television sometime in early 2008. But uh, what I will say is Mormonism is fighting back. In the film, Richard Bushman's wife uh, boldly made the statement that went something to the effect of, uh, quote, Why do Christians get to decide what is Christian? I think maybe we, meaning the LDS, ought to start saying that we're the Christians and they're not. 
if you care even the least bit about sound biblical Christianity, you have to take exception to this growing attitude that the LDS church is fostering and pushing their people to take. But it doesn't stop there. On December 16th of this year, in the Deseret Morning News, reporter Lay Deathman reported on a speech given by Elder Russell M. M. Russell Ballard at BYU-Hawaii. Here are some quotes sent to me by viewer Al. Uh, this says, members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints need to join the global conversation and use new technology to stand up for what they believe in, a top church official said. That they need to share their beliefs with the world instead of allowing people to base their opinions from news reports driven by controversies. It says, quote, uh, that Elder Ballard said, perhaps now more than ever, we have a major responsibility as Latter-day Saints to define ourselves instead of letting others define us. Other Ballard's speech came to the end of a rough week for the faith. It goes on to talk. It says Ballard urged 200 graduates who hail from 31 countries to use the newfound attention as an opportunity to educate and clear up misconceptions. Quote, there are conversations going on about the church constantly, Elder Ballard said. Quote, those conversations will continue whether we choose to participate in them or not. But we cannot sit on the sidelines while others, including our critics, attempt to define what the church teaches. LDS faithful can change perceptions of the church one conversation at a time through a clear and simple message of the restoration. Elder Ballard said that the internet is a great tool to start these conversations. In his remarks, he suggested members consider the following. Start a blog and share what you know to be true. Download videos from the official church and other appropriate sites and send them to your friends. Comment on news media sites that report on the church, quote, and voice your views as to the accuracy of their reports. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you go online and you type in any gospel topic, you're going to see on the internet, the LDS church is making a concerted effort to be viewed on the top pages as the resource to go to to find information about everything from Paul and John to uh, Jesus and, and everything else. So they're going to continually make this uh, invasive approach to bring in Mormonism as the true view of Christianity and nothing else. Let me tell you, this rolling and shifting, politically-minded institution is not going to stop until they've spun everything out into their control. They are attempting to dominate the media profiling, public opinion, and the dissemination of information. And they have the means to do it. They will long and loud cry like babies that they are being persecuted, and they'll bring up things like being driven from Missouri and Hans Mill and anti-Mormon literature, but they never look in the mirror. Let me share with you a few statements uh, that they have said about the Christian church. They always call our show or they write me emails and say you're persecuting us. Let me just give you a few. Uh, this is from John Taylor in Journal of Discourses, which is in the church, volume 6, page 167. We talk about Christianity, but it's a perfect pack of nonsense. It is a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It is as corrupt as hell, and the devil should not invent a better engine to spread his work than the Christianity of the 19th century. Uh, Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourses, volume 8, They wish to put a cup to your lips and pour the strong drink down your throats, caring only for what is in your pockets. They remind me of the Methodist priest in Iowa after a good collection. The money was on the table, and he wished the people to sing, so he struck up, This is the God we adore. It goes on, I won't quote from Orson Pratt and the Seer, because LDS don't believe that's a good book, but Brigham Young continu continues to say, The Christian world I discovered was like the captain and crew of a vessel on the ocean without a 
compass, and tossed to and fro withsoever the wind listed to blow them. When the light came to me, I saw that the so-called Christian world was groveling in darkness. You want to go more uh, modern than John Taylor and Brigham Young? We can go to uh, Bruce R. McConkie in a book that was always used as the standard for Mormon doctrine, called Mormon doctrine. It says, um, let me pick one. Uh, the titles Church of the Devil and Great and Abominable Church are used uh, to identify all churches which are designed to take men on a course that leads away from God and His laws and thus from salvation. There is no salvation outside this one true church. There is no salvation outside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Finally, in a pamphlet that's called What the Mormons Think of Christ, we read, Christians speak often of the blood of Christ and its cleansing power. Much that is believed and taught on this subject, however, is such utter nonsense and so palpably false that it is to believe that to believe it is to lose one's salvation. So we get the cries, we're picked on, we're persecuted, you're an anti-Mormon, this and this, and they never look in the mirror and read their own writings of the, the war that they started back in 1820 when Joseph said God told him to join none of the churches. Finally, we received a number of emails and newspaper clippings from people regarding a recent Deseret News faux pas. It seems that the paper ran a, quote, Christmas I Remember Best contest, and a seventh grade teacher submitted her students' work for consideration. One Michelle Bliss didn't win the contest, but the subsidiary paper, the Church News, which is delivered with the Deseret News to Mormon and non-Mormon homes alike on every Saturday, thought Michelle Bliss's essay was worthy of publication. That was until the editor learned the young writer wasn't a Mormon. It seems that when LDS Church News editor Jerry Avant called Michelle's home and to tell her that they wanted to print her recitation, she, the editor asked, are you LDS? Michelle said no. And then Jerry Avant told her that the Christmas Michelle remembered best would not be published. No Mormon, no print your heartfelt story. You see, being a member would make the story valid. Not being a member automatically makes it inferior. So now understand this. I think that the church, if it's a church-owned paper and they have a thing called the church news, they have the right to not let anybody uh, submit a, uh, an article or be chosen for a contest that is not LDS to write for that paper or to have articles published in that paper. What I don't understand is why anybody, anyone, Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, would ever subscribe to that paper. I say boycott the Deseret News. Don't pay for a, a paper that is published by the LDS Church. And then they won't even uh, print your kids' articles if they wrote a good one because they're not Mormon. So uh, I don't, I, it's, it's unbelievable. Boycott the, the rag and, and, and don't subscribe to that. I know the alternatives aren't great. Maybe you just shouldn't read the paper. But it's holy insanity to pay subscription prices for a newspaper that s teaches you what they want you to know about the church, not the facts, and then they won't publish a, a kid's paper that won the uh, admiration of the editors until they found out that she wasn't LDS. Okay, three more quick things before we pray. First, we've got new website information design. Go to www.bornagainmormon.com. The whole site has been revamped. In the process of doing that, I've lost 450 recent emails. And uh, so if you sent me something really important, like uh, whatever it might be, please resend it. Because, and I apologize for not sending you, but in the transition, we changed hosts and everything else. Forgive me. Resend them if they're important. Second, I received a few emails from people complaining that the 
caller last week who I cut off at the end was really winning the argument and that I cowered away from confronting him and I cut him off and I switched to putting my daughter on. Well, we had 22 seconds left and I had to put Cassidy on. She came from California and we had an agreement of the thing that we tried to do at the end. And the caller was right at the end. So what I wanna do is invite this caller, I don't remember his name, but he asked if I had prayed about the Book of Mormon. I invite him to call back and please continue to try to call back and get through so we can continue that discussion tonight. Finally, the white horse prophecy. People have asked about that. What is the white horse prophecy? And from what I can tell, there is no exact evidence where or when Joseph Smith actually made this thing they call the white horse prophecy, but there are a number of LDS leaders who have referred to it, and as I said last week, it's been taught to me since I was a kid, and most LDS know it. However, the church leaders today publicly are saying, no, there's no such thing as the white horse prophecy, but let me read you a few quotes sent in to us by Darren and Christy, and I appreciate it. It says, from Brigham Young on July 4th, 1854, quote, will the Constitution be destroyed? No. It will be held inviolate by this people. And as Joseph Smith said, quote, the time will come when the destiny of the nation will hang upon a single thread. At this critical juncture, this people will step forth and save it from the threatened destruction. It will be so. Brigham Young also said in 1855, when the Constitution of the United States hangs, as it were, upon a single thread, they will have to call the Mormon elders to save it from utter destruction, and they will step forth to do it. Brigham Young also said the present constitution with a few alterations of a trifling nature is just as good as we want. And if it is sustained on this land of Joseph, it will be done by us and by our posterity. And then two more, Brigham Young said, how long will it be before the words of the prophet Joseph will be fulfilled? He said, if the constitution of the United States were saved at all, it must be done by this people. It will not be done it will not be many years before these words come to pass. And John Taylor, also president of the church, said in August 1879, when the people shall have torn to shreds the constitution of the United States, the elders of Israel will be fond, will be found holding it up to the nations of the earth and proclaiming liberty and equal rights to all men. So, though we can't find the exact prophecy called the White Horse Prophecy, Sandra Tanner, if you're watching, please let me know if I'm wrong on that. But uh, we can find a lot of quotes from people saying that it in fact is true and that undergirds what we talked about last week, Mormonism believing they're going to save the Constitution, they're going to govern the world through uh, the Mormon doctrines and practices. All right, let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, I need you, we need you, and we ask you to be with us as we talk about these issues and in the end, hopefully bring Jesus into the forefront. Uh, we are grateful for the airtime. Pray for uh, our camera people, our tech people, our volunteers, our audience, and all the viewers at home. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are at the end of the year. We've spent the majority of our time discussing Joseph Smith and his history. We've discussed his parental influences. We've discussed his upbringing. We've discussed his magic practices and his treasure seeking as a youth and young man. We've talked about the first vision at length. We examined the Book of Mormon for over seven weeks in depth. We talked about his claims to priesthood, the establishment of the church, their migrations, and the Pearl of Great Price.
We've discussed convenient revelations, and then we spent three weeks on polygamy, which concluded with guests Sandra Tanner and Doris Hansen uh, here with me, which was very apropos, one man, two women, finalizing the polygamy show, and had a good conversation there. We talked about LDS missionary work, spent five weeks on the topic of temples ancient, Masonic, and Mormon. We took respites, discussing all sorts of fun stuff, and then we asked an important question on one show, are they Christian? We then spent time discussing blacks and the priesthood issue, two weeks if memory serves, uh, and have essentially been in Nauvoo for the last four or five weeks, excepting where we covered the current Mormon Christian saga of Mitt Romney running for president, and we discussed that last week. Everything we have discussed helped lay the path that led Joseph and Hiram Smith to Carthage jail. His charisma and political ambitions, his uninhibited lust for power, his secret... Uh, dozens upon dozens of secret wives, young and old, his magical thinking, his mystical pronouncements, his toying with tyranny, they all weave a tall tale and all form a path that leads to Carthage Jail, which is where we end this year's season tonight, today. We will have a show next week, by the way, but it will be a comparison of uh, a talk about Christmas, Jesus, and Joseph there. Uh, he began with enchantment, and then it ended with myth. Tonight, we're going to conclude with the final hours and acts of Joseph Smith, Jr., founder, prophet, and visionary who created, through synthesis, this thing they call Mormonism, this thing that has affected most people in this state in one form or another. Interestingly enough, where Joseph cut his teeth on freedom of speech and the idea that tyranny and anarchy are simply anathema to God and America, it was an act of anarchy which smacked of tyranny that brought Joseph Smith down from the second floor window of a jail cell and onto the earth below dead. You see, some of Joseph's most trusted friends, William Law included, especially, decided that they had had enough of Joseph Smith unrestrained in Nauvoo. Joseph's secret proposal to Law's wife appears to be what drove Law to expose the so-called prophet. And being in America, the land of the free, that is, they decided to publish a newspaper which would detail all the evils that Joseph was doing behind the scenes. So long story short, Joseph ordered this printing press that William Law got destroyed. And the paper that was being printed on it, which they called for this one single edition, the Nauvoo Expositor. This was an act of anarchy. To destroy the property of somebody else willingly was an act of anarchy, as viewed today and viewed by the people then. And it was an act of tyranny to destroy a printing press, especially in a country that was founded on shed blood of people fighting to protect free speech. So again, long story short, Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram, John Taylor, and Willard Richards are taken to Carthage jail. Prior to being arrested, Joseph, as he had so many times before, escaped uh, capture and was in the process of fleeing to Nauvoo with his brother when a letter was rushed to him by his old friend Porter Rockwell. It was a letter from Emma. He was across the Mississippi and he was escaping through this horrible rainstorm and Emma sent Porter Rockwell, his friend, with a letter to him. A man named Reynolds Calhoun, who accompanied Rockwell from Nauvoo across the Mississippi, said to Joseph, quote, when the shepherd deserts his flock, who is to keep the wolves from devouring them? 
After reading Emma's letter asking him to return, Joseph said, if my, quote, if my life is no value to my friends, it is of none to myself. And Hiram convinced the men to return and face the music at Carthage Jail for destroying the press. So Joseph replied, if you go back, I'll go with you, but we will be butchered. End quote. The whole chronology is readily available of Joseph's last hours in this jail, but because of time, I'm going to let you read them yourselves. Of course, I'm going to strongly suggest you go to www.utlm.org to get that information. That's Utah Lighthouse Ministry. It's reliable. It's factual. You can gather that stuff and read it for yourself. The unspoken history usually omits the fact that, G that Joseph and the men in the jail drank wine in the last hours. It's not that I care that they drank wine. I probably would too if I was in jail facing uh, uh, people trying to kill me. But Mormon leadership cares and are reticent to give such details to Joseph's true believers alive today. They want to keep a myth going on about him. Let me rehearse the last few moments of Joseph's life and then examine three additional facts relative to his death that are worthy of examination. By the way, the Times and Season newspaper, which was the LDS newspaper, in describing the events at Carthage Jail, referred to Joseph as General Joseph post-mortem. They didn't refer to him as the prophet. They called him General Joseph. In the cell with General, uh, General Joseph and his brother Hiram and Willard Richards and John Taylor, uh, they waited as a mob gathered outside. First of all, let me say Joseph Smith was murdered, okay? We can all say this because he was in the supposed protective custody of a jail cell when a mob decided to break in and kill him. This is murder. It was not justified. It was not right. It's not with excuse. While the four men were drinking their wine, they heard a noise and a shout of surrender, and then bullets started flying. They heard a group of men run up the stairs. They were in an upstairs jail, jail cell, and they burst the door open and put their hands through the door and started firing their guns into the room where Joseph and these other three men were. We don't know if the mob were Christians. Sometimes the Mormon intimate that they were Christians. We don't know if they were anti-Christian Mormons. We don't know if they were Masons. We don't know if they were angry men who had wives who, were, uh, uh, who Joseph and others tried to seduce. Um, there could have even been Mormons in the mob. They painted their face black and came in to take his life. But they were an unlawful mob with black face and guns. Four men inside charged the door together to bar the door and they used a cane to hit the guns that were stuck in there in shooting. The mob outside also shot from the ground up at the window. Hiram uh, was hit in the face near the nose and he cried out, I am a dead man. When he fell to the floor, three more bullets entered his body and he was killed. Joseph, who had a gun smuggled into his person, stuck it in out the door and fired the whole thing six rounds. Three struck true, killing two men and one, uh, a three, misfired. Okay. John Taylor was struck in the leg with two more uh, bullets entering his left wrist and leg above his knee. He rolled under the bed for cover. Willard Richards, a large, like 350-plus size guy, was not hit once. After seeing his brother was hit, Joseph said to drop his empty six-shooter revolver. He moved to the window and was struck in the chest by two bullets, and he fell out of the window and to the ground dead. Regarding Joseph's death, the LDS incessantly call it a martyrdom. Consider the following. It was reported that Joseph Smith, on the way to Carthage jail, made the comment, I am going like a lamb to the slaughter. 
It was another simple but unconscionable parallel Joseph was making and Mormonism makes to Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ, who also prophetically Isaiah uttered uh, about the lamb going to the slaughter. It must be noted that lambs do not fire six shooters, okay? The Lamb of God did not retaliate. He did not condone retaliation. When suffering for the cause of Christ, he told his followers to endure, to turn the other cheek. He did not ever say to fire back. This is Mormon-esque, pure and simple. The attitude continues today. Joseph was no lamb. In the recent LDS film played at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building here in downtown Salt Lake City, the emotionally driven cinematic retelling of the Carthage gun battle conveniently omits Joseph shooting any guns or having a gun. Okay? It is common knowledge. Church history. This is not anti-Mormon. This is common knowledge. And yet in their cinematic reprisal of everything that happened, Joseph just walked to the window like the Lord and Savior and offered up his life to be shot so that others wouldn't be. John Taylor, who was in the room, said, quote, Elder Cyrus H. Wheelock came to see us, and when he was about to leave, drew a small pistol, a six-shooter from his par- pocket, remarking at the same time, would any of you like to have this? Brother Joseph immediately replied, yes, give it to me wherein he took the pistol and put it in his pantaloons pocket. I was sitting at one of the front windows of the jail when I saw a number of men with painted faces coming around the corner of the jail and aiming toward the stairs. He continues on in History of the Church, volume 7, page 100, quote, I shall never forget the deep feeling of sympathy and regard manifested in the countenance of Brother Joseph as he drew nigh to, to Hiram and leaning over him exclaimed, Oh, my poor dear brother Hiram. He, however, instantly rose and with a firm, quick step and a determined expression of countenance, approached the door and pulled the six-shooter left by Brother Wheelock from his pocket, opened the door slightly, and snapped the pistol six successive times. Only three of the barrels, however, were discharged. I afterward understood that two or three of the wounded by these discharges, two of whom, I am informed, died. The second aspect to consider of Joseph's moving was Joseph's moving toward the window. LDS defenders of the faith maintain that Joseph fled to the window in order to heroically and selfishly draw attention from the fallen brethren and sacrifice himself like Jesus. I believe that if I was concerned with my brother's safety, I would have pushed him out of the way and screamed, here I am, here I am, shoot me, and rush the door, not run away from the door. There's a big difference. Think about it. These guys are at the door trying to get in. If he was trying to save them and they knew he was the one they wanted, why not rush it? He ran the opposite way. Big difference. Third, William Morgan, the Mason who was murdered for revealing secrets of the Masonic order and whose widow became one of Joseph Smith's first secret polygamous wives, wrote what a Mason was to do in times of distress. This is what he said, quote, The sign is given by raising both hands and arms arms to the elbows, like this, perpendicularly, is this right? One on each side of the head, the elbows forming a square, and the words accompanying the sign in case of distress are, O Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? So if you were a mason, and you were in trouble and needed help, and you wanted backup from your brothers, you were supposed to do this sign and yell these words, and masons were supposed to come forward and protect you. Well, guess what all the reports, all of them, had Joseph saying when he went to the window? 
O Lord, my God. And others say, he said, O Lord, my God, is there no uh, help for the widow's son? Now, it doesn't sound like he was trying to sacrifice himself. It sounds like he was trying any means to escape death. John D. Lee wrote, Joseph left the door, sprang through the window, and cried out, O Lord my God, is there no help for the widow's son? That's in Confessions of John D. Lee. You might think, well, that sounds anti-Mormon. John D. Lee was killed by the LDS Church for his participation in Mountain Meadows Massacre. Okay, well, let's go on. The history of the church says, Joseph Smith fell outwards into the hands of his murderers, exclaiming, O Lord my God. That's in the history of the church. About a month after Joseph and Hiram were killed, the Mormon newspaper Times and Seasons wrote, they were both Masons in good standing. Read the, uh, this, uh, this is from writer Cecil E. Cecil McGavin, who admitted that Joseph gave the Masonic symbol of distress, quote, he says, when the enemy surrounded the jail, rushed up the stairs and killed Hiram Smith, Joseph stood at the open window, his martyr cry being these words, O Lord, my God. This was not the beginning of a prayer because Joseph Smith did not pray in that manner. This brave young man who knew that death was near started to repeat the distress signal of the Masons, expecting thereby to gain the protection of its members or pledged to give a brother in distress. Finally, you can also read Zena D. Huntington Young, who is married to Joseph, who is married to Brigham Young, says that I am the daughter of a master mason. I am the widow of a master mason who, leaping from the window of Carthage jail, pierced with bullets, made the Masonic sign of distress, but those signs were not heeded except by the God of heaven. Finally, Heber C. Kimball wrote on page 26 of the life of Heber C. Kimball, Joseph, leaping the fatal window, gave the Masonic signal of distress. This has uh, nothing to do with a man who was trying to sacrifice himself. This was not a religious martyrdom. Martyrs look to the heavens and call to God. They ask for God to save them. Joseph was not doing that. Joseph Smith died on June 27, 1844, from gunshot wounds and possibly a fall from a second-story window. Today, 163 years later, his spirit continues to thrive in the hearts and minds of Latter-day Saints today. Whether it be by seeing spirits, questionable business practices, practices like lying for the Lord, or maintaining a charismatic and charming relationship with the world, it all started with Joseph. In this valley and in valleys beyond, people have had their throats slit for failing to obey the commands of priesthood leaders in their home. Young girls, teenage girls, have been secretly wed under the auspices of it being from God's will and the duplicitous forgeries that have been made by other people just emulating what Joseph did have led to lies, financial ruin, and deaths by bomb. Where Latter-day Saints see Joseph's legacy in terms of growing numbers worldwide, I see Joseph alive and well in the hidden corners of Mormonism, in those areas that speak to us explosively, repulsively, and horrifically. Though the question has always been, how could those people believe that guy? Even the more pressing question is, how do they believe him today? We have much more information about him now. Let's go to the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We would love to have your calls. We have people now, the operators. If the phone is busy, please uh, just keep trying. You'll get a uh, recording or a busy signal. Keep trying, we'd love to hear from you. While the operators are doing that, some quick emails. Doral wants to know, uh, why 
Senators Orrin Hatch, Robert Bennett et al., Congressman Chris Cannon, Jim Matheson, and Rob Bishop et al. haven't been able to use the Mormon network to be able to take over the country for Mormons. And then he talks about Harry Reid, the Senate Majority Leader who holds more power than any Mormon in government. How come he hasn't been able to uh, bring all this power in? Well, you know, these are five guys in a nation. We're not talking about this domination occurring instantly. These people are practiced and slow and they are patient. And these positions, they will just all contribute. I said today when I was talking to some guys from England that I don't think that Mitt Romney really has any power to do much policy changing or anything, but I do believe that what he can do is just make Mormonism more and more and more attractive worldwide. That's the danger. And in time, this will culminate into something that is quite dangerous and horrific, I believe. So there is the danger in having them in political uh, positions. So, Doriel, I hope that helps. Um, we have Joy and Layton wants to know about personal relationships. Joy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Joy? Yes. You're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, thank you. Uh, Sean, having been an LDS for many, 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 many years, uh, we learn about Jesus when he is born and when he died, and we end our prayers in his name. Yeah. And you have talked about a personal relationship with Jesus that I just can't, I can't even fathom it. Uh, I don't understand uh, what a personal relationship with Jesus is. Uh, I'd really like to uh, have you explain that. Wow. Uh, that is a beautiful question. The most important question that could probably be asked, you know, who is Jesus? How do I have this relationship with him? Um, and it's a long answer, Joy, and so, but I would just like to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ came and he gave his life to do something that you could not do at all whatsoever. You can't add to it. You can't improve upon it. You can't save yourself. That's why he came. And so what happens is, and when you realize who you are as a person, Relative to who God is, you see yourself as a sinner. You see yourself as doing bad things even when you try to do good. And you realize what he really did for you. And your heart breaks and you cry out to him and say, I need you to change me. I need you to change this heart within me. I need you to help me overcome myself and my will. And when you go about this... Um, through honest reflection, seeing yourself for what you are before an omnipotent and holy God, not a guy who was once a man who progressed to becoming a God, but a fire. Uh, the, the scriptures describe God as a fire. When you see him as that and see what Jesus did for you, then your heart kind of breaks and you say, my Lord, you know, my God, I could not do this without you. And you ask him to take over your sins, to take over your life, to give you that rebirth that, Nicodemus, that he talked to Nicodemus about. And when he gives you that new heart, then you start to understand aspects about him through his word that develop this personal relationship like no other. And you start to read things about him that are clearer to you that when before where you just kind of understood him intellectually, they were just facts. But those facts transition into a, a lifestyle and a life-changing moment where you know who he is and what you are, and that's how the personal relationship begins. I'd love to send you our book because a, a full 70 pages of it talk about 
getting this personal relationship while you're still LDS or if you've left it? Uh, I've left it. You have? Yeah, I, I, I've learned too much and I, I can't go to church anymore. I see. So what are you doing now with your Sundays? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's peaceful, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, um, where do you live? There's some great churches out there. Will you stay on the phone and let us give you some recommendations? And then maybe sometime we can talk and also leave your address so we can send you a book. Thank you very much. Please wait on the line. I will. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Darren on the Great Line 4. Darren, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going? Good, Darren. You're going to have to speak loud. Everyone can hear me, but... Uh, Speak really loud, my brother. Okay, hey, I just have uh, just one thing that I was just kind of curious about. Um, you know, back in the times of Jesus Christ, I mean, he, he's the son of God, and he was able to walk the earth in, in perfection. But, you know, at that time, everybody was able to make him look evil and horrible, and they were able to do all of that to the point that they crucified him. Yeah. And so my point is, is that... You know, no matter what is good out there, evil is always going to try to make anything look look as bad as possible. And I right. think, you know, with the Mormon religion, I think a lot of people tend to do that. They'll take as much as they can about the Mormon religion, like as you're doing, and you'll make it as negative and make it look as bad as you possibly can. And, you know, people have that ability, you know, to be able to speak well and whatnot. And so... You know, a lot of people will say, for example, they'll talk about polygamy and how bad that is, like you've mentioned that on here a few times with Joseph Smith, but, you know, there was times in the Bible where God uh, ordered, you know, the sons of Noah to, to take on polygamy and things like that. Yeah. There's and, no... Okay, I mean, so let's just go... example. I'm just saying, you right. know... Well, kinda... let me, let's go forward and talk about that really quickly. Um, the reason I take this approach is because when I started our ministry out, I took a, there's a lot of very good people in Mormonism. Many of them are probably Christians saved well ahead of me. But the problem was, is all we got when we did that was every Mormon calling and writing letters and whatever saying, you're right, we are all the same, you know, and let's just get together and stay together or whatever. And so I realized that approach, while I believe that in my heart, is not going to work. They have to realize the differences in order for them to see uh, the truth. And so we had to take this approach where we bring out the unspoken histories, those things that are not understood or taught, which are fundamental to practice and belief. So that's why we take this, and that's why many people who are called anti-Mormon take the approach. Because if we just talk about the commonalities we have in believing that there was a guy named Jesus Christ, and we do believe in the Sabbath day or whatever the thing is, you know, all we're doing is just, it's just ecumenical and it doesn't really break down the real issue. The real issue is Mormonism takes the cross of Christ and throws a truckload of other stuff upon it that needs to be done. Is that the real issue, though? Because, like, in the times of Jesus Christ, when they were, you know, sitting there calling him, saying, you know, blasphemy and this and that and the other, yeah. you know, he still brought out the good, like, he was healing people on the Sabbath, uh, but he didn't turn around, you know, and just say, oh, you know, let's, uh, let's make a talk show here and, and talk bad no, about, now you're getting you know, personal. what he basically did. You were doing so well, now you had to get, 
now you're getting personal. That we sit here. I mean, you, you come up with this show, and you'll you'll talk about Mormons, but why don't we talk about a lot of the good that they've done? Have they not done a lot of good? They do, they talk about the good they do themselves. I don't need to talk about the good they do. Look, no, read that's, any newspaper. That's, that's, my, that's my point, though. Like, yeah. who's going to talk about the negative? I am. Christ, Christ never did. He talked about the negative all the time. Like what? He called them vipers. He said they, they were going to burn in hell. He said a number of things that were very uh, antagonistic toward the uh, religious leaders of the day. The chief priests well, were horrible. What were those vipers doing, though? I mean, were they, were, there's, there's a lot they of were pushing, they were pushing, they, they were pushing their legalistic religion upon a people who couldn't handle it. So let me ask you this, honest opinion. Do you think any, any good has come from the Mormon religion? Good, good in the sense of this world? Sure. Absolutely. So, it's so a great club. Good. I mean, for, for your fruits, you will know them. So if they have, if they, they you have don't good fruits... You don't understand the fruits then. So you make the, the, the very big mistake most Mormons do is believing that good works are the fruits. Read the Bible and you understand. We've talked about it many times on the show. What the good fruits are and what the fruits are that God seeks in those who believe him. And they are not outward manifestations of goodwill. If that were so, the Shriners, the Masons... The Seroptimists, every single club out there would be on par with Mormonism. Right, but the Mormonism, like the Mormon church, yeah. they, I mean, you focus on Joseph Smith so much. Well, that's what this year's been on. The thing, is, the thing is, what's the name of the church? It isn't the name of Joe Smith, it isn't Church of Mormon, it's Church of Jesus Christ. What's the name but, of Staples? Oh, I love to use this example. Right, like, we fo like they focus on Jesus Christ. And, no, they don't. You know, we worship no, God. No, you don't. You think they do, you think they do because he's mentioned occasionally and they have him in a title, but they do not focus on Jesus Christ. Here's you, the thing though, you can, get, you can name any religion out there yeah. and you can take any, you can, you can take negativity of any church and you can dress it up to make I it agree. as horrible that, as you want. I agree, that's why I don't like church. No, it's not, it's not even that. Obviously when Christ was on earth, he organized a church, so I guess... You know, he didn't organize... And what is the show. church, my friend? And we're going to end it with this. What's the church that Christ organized? His church. He, he founded it upon apostles and prophets. It's made up of believers. Not made of build. It's made of buildings without hands. It's a spiritual church. It has nothing to do with... It's a foundation, right? That's under our feet. It's past yeah, us. It's it set. It's set. It was a foundation of leaders. It's set. It was a foundation of uh, well, leaders. We're, we what we've we done... We gotta listen. I like your call. The church is a, is a religion of Christ. I like your the foundation of leaders that he, he okay. has put together. And we can just what go. Nope. Is, is, oh, it's easy to sit on TV and sit there and talk about all the negativity. Would you prefer I stand on TV? Back. Listen. But you're, you're not. You're not. You're, all you're doing is pulling a few bits and pieces here, and you're dressing. A few bits and pieces. We've had a hundred hours. A hundred hours of bits and pieces. What are you talking about? There you go. There you go. Okay. So here, here's another. Okay, we can't go on. I like it. Let me do a vote of the audience. Should we go on? Raise your hand, go on, or stop. I will go on if you think we should. No, nope, we're saying stop, my friend. It does. With relative to you, the audience matters. Okay. We're, uh, he, he wasn't going to end it, and I had to do it. I love you. Call back if we can have something concise and stay on that topic. I'd love to see it. Let's go to Mike in Provo. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, you musty clan? Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> Say, a couple of weeks ago, you posed the question, um, if, um, if Jesus is uh, the son of the Father, then uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, why isn't he called the son of, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah. 
You remember that question? Yeah. Was that rhetorical? I mean, uh, were you looking to get an answer on that, or what's the deal? No, I mean, the whole, uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Right. And the Holy Spirit is one. The, 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 it's, it's an indicative of the Trinity. I mean, it's, he isn't called the, the, uh, the uh, child of the Holy Spirit or the son of the Holy Spirit. He's called the son, uh, the son of the Father. But the Bible's clear that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. So all it does is it reinforces the notion of a trinity. Right, right. Yeah, that's what, that right. was my point back then. Go ahead. I, I guess what I'm looking to uh, maybe get from you since you're a long-time Mormon fellow is to, is to get the lowdown on how it is that the LDS people believe that he is the son of the father. Well, the lowdown uh, is, and they will dispute this today, but if you go back to the foundations of the church, Brigham Young was especially big on talking about, and even Bruce McConkie, first of all, God has a body of flesh and bone in the Mormon religion. He is not a spirit. So if God the Father is the father of Jesus the Son, and he has a body of flesh and bone. How does the son? Uh, how is the son created? Brigham Young has said many times over. Uh, uh, they've all said many times over. It happens the way a man creates a child on this earth. Now they've been much more explicit, but I'm just trying to give you the general uh, response. The LDS believe that this is a normal thing. They don't see anything wrong with it. They, they, and, and the way you explain it is Catholics believe that Mary was always a virgin. Christians believe that Mary was a virgin uh, up until she gave birth to Jesus and then went, lived a normal relationship with Joseph. And Mormons believe that Mary was a virgin up until the time she met with God the Father. There's the difference between the three. Unbelievable. Are yeah. you then saying that... Uh when the angel Gabriel came down and basically announced that the Lord is with her, that uh, basically it was uh, in preparation to God the Father coming in some corporeal state to do it with Mary? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable! Yeah. Yeah, I hope that helps, my friends. A great call, especially at this time of year. As within a week, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ. They're going to sing about the Virgin Mary, and most LDS don't know even what the doctrines are. Hey, just an aside here, Sean. What's the scariest uh, passage that you can think of in the Bible? Scariest? The, the scariest, yeah. I have no idea. You have no idea. Well, I'll tell you what's mine. Okay. It's, uh, I think it's in uh, Matthew chapter 25. It's where Jesus is separating the goats from the sheep. Oh, yeah. That's a scary one. Uh, well, what's your take on that where basically... Some are being, obviously, the sheep, and some are being cast off on the uh, other side, the bad side. And, uh, and they're saying, when did we see you, Lord, hungry or naked or thirsty or in prison or all these different things? In other words, they're, they're calling him Lord. Mm. That is scary. It good, is scary. Now, uh, at some point, I'd like to see uh, what you say about something like that. I mean, I don't know if maybe this, this can address uh, the different factions of Christianity. Well, maybe it could. Uh, Let me give it some thought and uh, read on it, but that's, it's uh, interesting. I like that food for thought. Okay, Sean. Look forward to it. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to Kathy and Logan. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, um, you can tell that Darren that called. Uh, what does he think about the billboards the Mormon Church has put up with a picture of Joseph Smith saying, Praise to the man. <laughs> 
Aren't those things horrible? Oh, you got to turn that TV down, Kathy. They are just horrible. Praise to the man. You know, it's all man-centered. You walk into a general conference and these, these prophets or apostles walk in the room and everybody stands. Uh -huh. Like they're in the presence of holiness. Oh, you don't praise man. I mean, tell these LDS people that is wrong. It is wrong. That's a great call, Kathy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye -bye. Okay, bye-bye. We have Bill on line two. And Bill, is, uh, Bill, you're a questionable caller. Bill, you're on the air. I appreciate you having me on the show. You're welcome. Okay, I just, I don't have much time, so I just had a real quick question. You ever dance with the devil in the cold moonlight? You fat man! Do I ever dance with the devil in the cold moonlight, you fat man? Well, um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I probably have somewhere in my life. So, uh, okay, we uh, have the operators busily cutting through calls like that. Uh, keep trying. Listen, we have a question from, um, I don't know who's, oh, Ted G asks, what, are the le what is the legal use of our show and putting it on GodTube and YouTube? And uh, we welcome you. There's, you can, we give you permission to put it on anything. You can uh, cut out my face in the ugliest position and just show three seconds of me going, I don't care. Because what it does is it brings people around and they learn and it's really gotten legs because of that. So please, no legal permission, no written permission. I give you permission to use. Don't alter anything, but you can show whatever you want. Ron L. Uh, asked, was the priesthood... Uh, Ron was... Well, let me read this. Oh, Ron L. was in a priesthood meeting, and they were teaching in the LDS church, this is the men's group, and they were teaching about how the prophet would never, ever, ever lead you astray. That is a common LDS teaching. And Ron, he asked the question, well then why did Brigham Young teach the doctrine that Adam was God? And today, the LDS Church says that was not right, it's not true, it was wrong of Brigham Young to ever teach that. Didn't he lead those people astray? One thing led to another, and before the day was out, Ron L. had a huge argument, and it ended with him standing up and saying, I will never come in this church again. So let that be a door open to you, Ron. That simple thinking through something like that. We pray that you'll go, you'll open the word, find a church. You're going to be disappointed with some churches and you're going to like others. You're going to have to seek a bit, but find a church that teaches the Bible, that teaches the Lord and praises and worships him and go and see a few of those and just start listening to what they're teaching and you'll find peace there and not these argumentational deals that you find uh, under uh, doctrines like that. Okay, uh, we have Alan and Kathy, but let me just uh, say one more. Before the blacks received the priesthood, this is from Australia. If a white man married a Negro woman, this is before the blacks were allowed to have the priesthood, uh, would they be able to marry in the temple? And would a single black woman been able to take out her endowments and have done work for the dead? Uh, God bless your show, Roy. Listen, uh, no. A white, a white worthy male priesthood holder could not, prior to the blacks receiving the priesthood, take a black woman through the temple and marry her. And uh, so, therefore, I guess that answers the other question. No single black woman could go through the temple at that time either. All right, let's, uh, let's get to some more calls. We're going to uh, Allen and South Jordan. I'm going to go to Kathy for a second. Kathy, Kathy has a question on slavery. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
Oh, hey, hi. Hey, hi. Uh, well, actually, it's uh, kind of sort of like slavery. There are two um, famous Mormon people that I heard say that um, the Mormon church was marked for death because they were anti-slavery. One of the people that said that was uh, Marie Osmond, and another one was a radio personality person that's yeah. Mormon. But anyway, I wanted to see your take on it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, what happened was Joseph Smith started out, and there was kind of a, uh, an anti-black uh, position that they took. And then as he started to think of run for president and he started to become a little bit more liberally minded as he was an older man, he became very, he became radically anti-slavery. And that did not bode well with much of the United States. And so there was some uh, question about their stand on slavery and they had some persecution, meaning there was critical articles written and things like that about their stance on slavery. So referring back to Darren, why don't I ever mention the good things? That was a good thing. Good job, Joseph. Good decision. All right. Good question. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to Marino and Roy. Marino, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey. Hey, I have a question. Um, I was wondering what was the scripture reference where Paul writes in one of his letters, if anybody comes to you, angel or person, with a different gospel, let him be accursed. Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 8, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's where that. And, yeah. Uh, just real quick, uh, to all your viewers that don't believe that Jesus is God, if they read Colossians one, it yeah. really helps a lot. Excellent. Good Thank point. You. I love these calls. Thank you, Marino. Goodbye. Okay. Bye bye. I'm gonna take Alan. Uh, Alan from West South Jordan. You're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Yes. Uh, a couple of comments. Um, yes. You said something about William Law. That's an old story, and uh, uh, I'm not gonna call you a liar because uh, I think you're. You're meaning well, but um, the latest uh, homework is demonstrating that that was uh, uh, that was a false story. Uh, they interviewed William uh, 40 years after, and his son Tommy, and they both said it was all a bunch of lies that uh, were spread, trying to uh, 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 cause damage for the character of Joseph Smith. Alan. Why did William Law publish the Nauvoo Expositor and have Joseph destroy it? And it was all about Joseph's polygamous practices. And why was he so... Uh, his, uh, his attempt, uh, the affair on uh, his wife. I know about the Expositor, but... Uh, so that part was true? No, no. The, the part about uh, Joseph Smith approaching uh, William Law's wife... Oh, and, oh that's the brought part. Up. It was brought up. Uh, the accusation floated around and... Uh, Forty years later, William Law. Right, I got that part. Son both denied it. I'm willing to admit that that sometimes my uh, my information is wrong. I. That's all right. That's all right. I just wanted to yeah. say. But that. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying I'm willing to admit that it could be. Yeah, right. that's that's that, that's good of you. You could check it in uh, the book William Law. <laughs> it sounds uh, reliable. <laughs> it's talked about in there, but uh, it's it's uh, interesting. That some of your best points are are uh, not true. But uh, anyway, another another quick point. He loves doing uh, that. His delivery is very good. Oh, yes. He's able to tell uh, you to go to hell with a smile on his face. Oh, yes. I, I do have to roll my eyes sometimes, but uh, uh, I'm trying to be patient. Uh, Jesus, uh, He's trying to he be patient. Oh, begged the Father three times not to uh, uh, let him go through this. Now, yeah. that doesn't sound like a lamb either, but, uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, that sounds like a lamb to me. Uh, that sounds like a, a person who, did, who was, yes, very well, humble I, and broken. I, I'm not trying to disparage the uh, sacrifice of the Savior, but I'm, I'm just saying... But you will in order to make your point. Martyr doesn't have to uh, uh, win a foot race 
uh, uh, trying to uh, get to the butcher first. But uh, uh, um, he begged three times for, for this cup to be taken uh, from him, um, uh, which, you know, it's, you know. It's, yeah, but he didn't run out of the garden and, and away from the cross. Uh-huh. Well, he was, uh, he got shot at the window, but. Uh, uh, you know what? We have, Alan, I love your calls. Keep it to one point. Keep calling back. You keep me on task. I like it. Sorry, I can't uh, bring up any more, but. Uh, it's okay. You will say that. will just have to know okay. that a lot of what you say is, is interesting, but uh, uh, undocumentable. But okay. that's fine. Thanks. All right. You're welcome. Uh, Alan's purpose, I've met Alan personally and went and sat down and talked together. His whole purpose is to uh, to do this, and this is his thing. So I like giving him a voice. He's able to bring things up. And there's, you know, I don't want you to believe everything I say. I want you to uh, hope that I'm right on the aspects of Jesus. But with regard, with regard to Mormon history and things, boy, go check it out. You know, it's very simple. You can prove me a liar. You can make me a fraud. Just go to utlm.org and check out my facts, read the histories, read the things I say. You can go back and check everything. It's on the online, no problem. All right, uh, listen really quickly. Uh, next week, we will be on the air live. So tune in, gather around all the family. You might have some LDS friends visiting and, and mom and dad and say, come on, sit down and watch the show. It's really Christmas oriented. And it will be. I'll, I'll, I'll be wearing red or something. And we'll talk. And then, pastor in the pub tonight, Denny's, 5th South, 250 West, downtown Salt Lake City. Love to see you there. I'm going to, how much time do we have? I, one minute? I'm going to try to get Trudy in. Oh, boy. Trudy, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Fine. I'm frustrated. And I will just warn you that I'm pregnant and so I'm hormonal. Oh, no. But Darren has really frustrated me. Um oh. Jesus became very, and I know you said this on the air, but Jesus became very, very angry with the Pharisees for pushing the law and um, for just not even having their hearts where it was supposed to be. It's not about good works. It's not about following, you know, all the guidelines. And right. so he did become angry about that. Yes. But my question also was that um, he's saying that God ordered polygamy, but he didn't. Polygamy happened in the Bible, unless I'm incorrect. I don't think he ever ordered it. it You're correct. That he... Is that correct? You're absolutely correct. He never ordered it. It was his permissive will. He allowed it to happen, and it always ended in disaster. Always. Okay. Yeah, you're right on that, Trudy. Good points. I appreciate the call. No problem. Can I just say to Darren, too, I grew up a Christian, born-again Christian, you know, as a little kid in the neighborhood in Utah, and I was basically told by all of my neighborhood friends, that the only thing worse than me was a Catholic, and now they want to be Christians, and so... <laughs> Good a call! Of, a lot of things that have changed over the years, and that's why we are speaking out. That's why we're angry, and we love them. Right. But there's a lot of deceit going on, so... Excellent. Anyway... Thank you so much, Merry Trudy. Christmas. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. That's it. Uh, we are running out of time. I'm not sure how much we have left, but uh, in any case, I want to tell you we love you, LDS or not. Keep tuning in here on Heart of the Matter.